For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Good evening, everyone. Welcome. Uh, tonight, uh, I, I'm going to uh, dialogue with our Sado teacher, Paul Disco. Thank you, Paul Disco. Disco from Berkeley, and um, we're going to talk about an old Zen story, an old Zen koan. So I'll start off by reading it and then call on Paul to uh, start the discussion. So this is this version of the story is from the Mumon Khan, the, um, the gateless barrier, the gateless gate, case 44. Master Shishuang said, atop a hundred-foot pole, how do you step forward? Another ancient worthy said, one who sits atop a hundred-foot pole may have gained initiation, but this is not yet reality. Atop a hundred-foot pole, one should step forward to manifest the whole body throughout the universe. So, Zenkyu, would you... um, Take the first step off the 100-foot pole for us. You're muted, so you'll need to dismute. Uh, gladly. Um, I would like to, uh, I'm very happy to be here with you folks. Um, the the uh, Sandokai that we chanted just now always always touches me. It's, it's such a profound piece of work. If we could, if we, if, 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 if we, could even embrace a, a small fraction of it, it we would be we would be greatly blessed but um, tonight I want uh, the only way Ty get asked me what do I want to talk what do I want to talk about and so I I just sort of the first thing that came to my head was was the hundred foot pole because I had a personal experience with it and um, I felt something that I would like to share with you all. Um, but I want to go back to the Sando Kai for a little bit, and there's so much packed into that, into that sutra, into that, into that teaching, into that, that it's hard. I mean, each each sentence is a is 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 a lifelong study. I mean, each, it's it's there's it's just it is so power packed, it's so filled with with things. Um, And and how to dibble at it, and how to digest it, and how to how to come to terms with it, how to enter it, how to even even be able to carry it, to grasp it, find a handle to grasp it and carry it down the road, is extremely difficult. And um, I realize that 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 many people, many teachers. Uh, many different ways of, of suggesting of how to do that. Um, so, as most of you know by this time, I'd spent a lot of time in Japan. I spent a lot of Japan, time in Japan in fairly uh, intense circumstances, um, and I spent a lot of time there quite happily. I was not uh, many many people that go there. Are freaked out by how weird it is, and uh, <laughs> and 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 or, and anyway, I I I felt like I'd gone home. I felt very comfortable there, and very and very very much at peace there because because it seemed it seemed it seemed so familiar. But coming back to the states, it was sort of a rude shock because. We see things so differently. People in, in this country see things so differently, and um, anyway, there's many different ways of talking about that difference. But um, the one that I use is is is, is like it's like 
the two cultures are standing on the rim of a glass and and the Asian culture is looking in to the center. So it's it's focused, it's, it's concave, it's focused like a lens. It's deep, but it's but it's but it's narrow. It narrows to a point. And, and our, our Western culture teaches us to look out broad, let's see all the possibilities, <laughs> check the horizon, to take in all the different pieces. But of course, we can only look so deep, we can't see so far because our, our energy is spread so far, so wide. So, so there's not, there's not that one is better than the other. And, and the two, of course, complement each other quite nicely, but, um, but it leads us to study Buddhism in, in very different ways. Some people talk about the difference of being a, a, an intellectual culture or a head culture or the body culture or a physical culture. And I think that's also a very good analogy um, about we tend to want to think about things. We want to read books about things. We want to, we want to try to parse the meaning of Baba Wawa and see if we can't come to some understanding um, where, where, the, where in Asia it's much more of don't do what you're told and don't think too much. Um, it's, um, they, both, they both have some difficulties. <clears throat> anyway, um, my, experience, my experience was with the but the hundred foot pole was multifaceted, but um, I, I, my, my understanding of it is that that reaching the top of the pole is is it's a hundred foot pole. It's not an easy, not an easy climb. There's a lot of there's a lot of practice, 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 practice. You know, it's, it's harder than getting to Carnegie Hall. Uh, you have to practice, practice, practice. And and then once you get to the top of the 100-foot pole, what 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 happens? Um, anyway, I had an experience in my Shuso ceremony at Tassahara that that, um, and I don't know, some of you have seen a Shuso ceremony, some of you haven't, but it's basically where the head teacher of that, of that training period is put on the hot seat and everybody tries to knock him off by throwing uh, verbal, verbal questions at him, at them, whoever they may be. Um, in Japan, of course, it's done, it's, it's all scripted, the questions are all Pre, pre-digested, but here in America, and especially in a place like Tassahara, people take the challenge pretty seriously, and they want to uh, see if they can't unseat you <clears throat> with the Dharma combat. And um, I realized that that it was okay. I could step off into that void of not knowing what the answers were or knowing what the answers were or not. Anyway, I can step off into that void and just float, float on the surface of the Dharmakaya and that everything would be perfect. And then there was nothing to worry about. And, and failure or success was of no, 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 of no consequence. Um, and that, um, it was just perfect. It was perfect just as it was. Now that was that was that was a you know a momentary experience when I when I draw on periodically. But um, it was it was my understanding of the hundred of the hundred foot pole. But now that now that now that um, I am attempting to to be a teacher and to, to trying to talk about talk talk about Buddhism rather than do about Buddhism, which I did for, for so many years. I'm I I'm questioning how to talk about this subject, how to talk about the Sandokai from neither a East or a West point of view. And the two the two are considerably different and their meanings are considerably different. 
um, Suzuki Roshi was was quite a wonderful teacher. He was a unique teacher in that he did not have he did not have a strong presence. A strong, he had a strong presence, but he did not have a strong um, what would you call it? He was neither male nor female. He was neither he was neither liberal nor conservative. He was neither he was he was neither energetic nor lazy. He was anyway, he, he considered himself soft. That to be a good teacher you had to be stricter and you had to you had to um, kick a little ass to get people to get out of their out of their out of their tracks. Which is the usual, usually the way it's done. I mean, that's that's sort of traditional teaching, both especially in Japan and, and in this country too. And so he brought this teacher. He, he invited this teacher from AHG. He was the Eno at AHG, which is sort of the disciplinary. It's like the dean of students at AHG. And he and he was also the champion sumo wrestler. And he was a man of his I don't know 50s, 60s. God knows how old he was. But he was not a beginner for sure, and uh, he had he had a, a lot of presence, and uh, he uh, he he um, was very sure of his understanding of Dogen Zenji, and and so the, 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 a case came up that typified this this this, this east west problem. Uh, down at that at that time at Tassahara, um, uh, the macrobiotics had gained control of the kitchen. And I don't know how many of you remember macrobiotics, but they sort of come and gone. But anyway, it was hot in the in the <coughs> New Age world in the sixties, and uh, the 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 head chef there was what was his name now i forget but anyway he was a, he was he was he was really into it but he was a, a master of it and he he was um uh and he was he was good at it it wasn't you know there's it's, it's i mean there's it's, it's, it's one thing to have an idealistic view of, of what to eat but in other but in other words but it's also something else to be able to cook it well but he was good at it it was, it was good and, and at that time, it was called Zen macrobiotics for some strange reason. But I later, and I, I took it as faith at the time because I was a beginner. But later, I thought, what the how that happened? But anyway, um, there's nothing especially Zen about it whatsoever. But anyway, um, the point being that that at that time we were, we were most of us were in our twenties, thirties at the most, and we were young and vigorous and high energy and brown rice and lentils and one egg every other day uh, and no cheese uh, was a hardship. And my, my, myself, I went from a diet of, you know, I, I mean, I went from 180 pounds to 145 pounds in a, in a, in a six month period. But I didn't, I didn't, I, my body couldn't digest, couldn't, didn't know how to metabolize it. I came back up to about 160 and stayed there for most of my Buddhist career there at Tassahara. But um, at first, it just, it just, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. But needless to say, we were Americans and not beyond a little mischief, and we would sneak into the kitchen in the middle of the night and steal food. And this created a stir in the community, and especially some of us bad boys were sort of singled out as being the the, the, the worst offenders, but but it was not it was not uncommon. <clears throat> and the the chef, the, the the head cook at that time was a man named Ed Brown, who you may be familiar with from his bread book. He wrote a book about bread baking. And he's also a teacher still now in the, in the makes the circuits among various different groups. Anyway, Ed was Ed would sit on the kitchen, on the on the prep table in the middle of the kitchen, in full notice with two knives in each hand to protect the food. <laughs> it was, but it not, but he wouldn't do it every night, but he did do it some nights. But anyway, so we went to we went to, at that time Suzuki Rush was back in San Francisco, and at that time we went to um, 
the teacher who was there was this Hatsugami Roshi from AAG, and we explained the situation. He spoke very little English. One of the one of the students, Dan Welch, had spent a year in in a Rinzai temple in Japan when he was like nineteen or something, and spoke some Japanese. And he would translate, explain the problem to him, and he said, Tatsugami said, take take the locks off your mind and put them on the door. Which, when I heard that, I thought, wow, that is that is that is so so wonderful, so brilliant. Because we, in the West, the Western way is to put the locks on your mind, morality, be a good person, don't, 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 don't sin. And then, but then sin and temptation is everywhere. I mean, just, you know, fast cars and, and, and sexual, sexual innuendo and, and vast amounts of food and money. I mean, we're just, we surround ourselves with temptation and then, and then tell ourselves, but don't touch it, don't sin. So that's, that's, that's the Western way. But the Japanese way is just lock it up. Make, don't, 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 don't tempt people with anything. Make it, make it so taboo that nobody would ever think of doing it. And that's the way Japan is. There's no, there's, 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 there's a correct way to do everything and nobody would think of violating it. And but their but their minds are left free, and that's why you have all this fantasy stuff like mangas and stuff like that. They they have a very strong fantasy life, but a very rigid, very rigid uh, physical life. Anyway, so I I I thought that was brilliant. Take the locks off your mind. I thought that was like really, really, really profound teaching, and and I held that thought for for. Uh, for a long time, many years, like maybe 20, 30 years. And then talking to my teacher, Tenjin Anderson, about it, because I've been trying, I've been discussing with him this East West dialogue. And, uh, um, and he pointed out, well, how did that work out for Tatsugami? Well, it didn't work out for him at all because he was. He was he was here in America, and we gave him a a, a, a jisha, an attendant, who was this woman who had more sex appeal than any woman had a right to have, and she went about seducing him, and totally turning his world upside down, and because he didn't have the protection of the of the Japanese system, he was in America where there are no rules. And so that was that. So I mean, so Tenshin Roshi pointed that out to me. How that didn't work for him because it only works. It only works in Japan to take the locks, put the locks on the door, and take them off your mind. Um, so that set me on this quest to think about, even deepen my quest of how to deal with this East-West, East-West understanding. Um, and um, I don't know. I'm talking a lot. Maybe I'm not giving you time to get a chance to to, to talk, to enter in here. But um, maybe that's enough for now. I have a few more little things to say that that, I, that I'd like to share with you all. But um, maybe give time to get a chance to to offer something. Well, thank you, Paul. Um, so uh, thank you, Paul. As an old friend, we connected at Tassahara and. Um, when I was his jisha. Um, and, um, well, you know, I, I don't know how to say this, but I'll just say it. I, you know, I tend to be just easygoing as a teacher. I'm not uh, strict particularly. Occasionally I'll be strict with someone when they really need it. But, um, uh, you know, uh, Zengu is here from Berkeley as our Sado, our visiting teacher, uh, extend, extended visiting teacher. Oakland, and, uh, Oakland. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's that's a, a, a major difference. Yeah, Oakland. I I, I wasn't sure because you at one point you lived, I think, up there. But anyway, I, 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 I couldn't resist. Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. No. I I appreciate that. Um, and you know, it's it's um, and and really, Zengi was here because. I brought him, I wanted him to come to Chicago the same way Tatsugami Roshi came from Japan to California. So for me, Zengi was our Tatsugami Roshi 
not that anyone should seduce him or anything. Of course, he can't because he's up over in Oakland. But, um, you know, uh, he has a kind of stricter view of what Zen is. And I think he's right, but uh, it's not my style particularly. Uh, so um, uh, I, I appreciate Zengi's pers- perspective. And all of this, you know, what does this have to do with a 100-foot pole? Well, the 100-foot pole, as uh, Paul mentioned, you know, it takes a lot of work to climb a 100-foot pole. It takes a lot of practice to uh, end up being Shuso Atasahara. It takes a practice period of really working. And, you know, uh, people back back then and uh, at Zen Center when I was there in, this, in the uh, 80s, uh, you know, it's it's tough. It's a sitting all day, and and I and I really regret that. You know, I love Zoom. It's wonderful because we have people here from, well, from Paul's from here from Oakland, and and I see that uh, Deborah's here from Pittsburgh, and uh, Ken is here from Indiana, and um, maybe there's some other distant people. Oh, Co's here from from Ohio. So, and Doug is here from Kankakee. Or are you still up in Minnesota, Doug? I can't hear you, but he's up in the north. Yeah, he's up north. So anyway, um, we have this wonderful opportunity to see each other, even though we're from we're spread out. But there's the intensity that's uh, part of our practice. There's a part of our practice that's gentle and kind. Obviously, I've been talking about Zen is not about being nice, but we can still be kind, you know, uh, but there's also as part of this practice that um, requires a great deal of rigor. If you're going to really climb a hundred foot pole, if you're going to really take on something and stick to it and eventually persevere. Um, I see Alex here, who's almost finished with his program at university of Chicago. I think he's had to work really hard. So, uh, and I think, you know, all, all, Maybe all of you, in some ways, have worked really hard. And, you know, all of you at times have a sense of what it's like to be on top of a 100-foot pole. Or maybe you, maybe not quite, but you can sort of see it up there a little bit. Uh, the point of this story is that that's not enough. So whether you put the locks on the door or on your mind... What do you do when you get the top of a hundred foot pull? Well, the story says, take another step. So a big part of our practice is being uncomfortable, going beyond our comfort zone, taking risks, take another step. So uh, Dogen Zenji calls it Buddha going beyond Buddha. It's not enough to get to the top of the hundred foot pole. How do we how do we keep going beyond? How do we keep awake? Like like Shakyamuni Buddha back in you know twenty five hundred years ago or whatever in northeastern what's now northeastern India. He he didn't stop practicing when he became the Buddha. He didn't stop awakening. So how do you keep going? Uh, how do you? Um, how is Buddha going beyond Buddha? How do you, how, are, how do we take, make, make mistakes, make the right mistakes? Uh, so uh, Bob Dylan said, she not busy being born is busy dying. How do we stay alive and stay awake, stay awakening? Um, it's very easy to be complacent. Even in this terrible world of the COVID pandemic, and climate climate breakdown, where Texas becomes like an Arctic zone, and we have all this snow, and uh, you know fires ravage California where Paul is. Um, you know we can we can we can sort of get, find a place where it's a little comfortable. You know, I've been feeling like I could spend you know, the rest of my life in this apartment without leaving. I've been quarantined for 11 months. Oh, I go out occasionally, but but not much. And it's, you know, it's a little comfortable. 
you know, I can watch Netflix. I can, you know, it's, uh, I can go on Zoom. I can, you know, anyway. Um, how do we go beyond our comfort zone? How do we, how are we willing to be beyond control? So a, a Paul's story about the Shusso ceremony, I, I, I really appreciate. I remember my Shusso ceremony and you get up there and people are, you know, one after another. We've done this at, at uh, Ancient Dragon during, uh, well, back back in the ancient days when we were had a temple at Irving Park Road and uh, Asian's been through it and Douglas has been through it and I used to do Shosan ceremonies and maybe we can do start doing that on Zoom sometime. But where one person after another asks a question, you have to respond. You can't just sit there being comfortable on the top of the hundred foot pole. If you if you if you do try and do that, you'll fall right off. So how do you just uh, not have control, not have some some uh, some idea of what you're doing? Just meet each situation and respond. So our practice has been as has been said is. How do we respond appropriately? So going beyond comfort, our comfort zone, going beyond our sense of control, um, this, is, this is true of our practice and how we practice um, day after day and pandemic after pandemic or whatever. Um, and it's also true of our world, especially now. This is a, I think this is a great story for what's happening in the world. So our, um, I don't know if our society is at the top of a hundred foot pole. We kind of feel like we are. Uh, Paul was talking about this last week, that the United States feels like it's this exceptional country that can rule the world. And we have military bases all over and, and uh, all of that. Uh, but now, how do we step ahead beyond this hundred foot pole? How are we willing to meet the fact that we cannot ignore the earth and the planet and the climate. And uh, we cannot ignore our karma, our karmic legacy of, you know, the systemic racism going back to slavery and the, uh, the unfairness to uh, working people that is reflected in how our society is. Is built. So, you know, this, this is a story not just about individuals, but, and it's also about, not just about our society, it's about our community too. We had a wonderful 100-foot pole at Irving Park Road. We had this wonderful little temple. Uh, was it a 100-foot pole? Or it was only a 50-foot pole. It was small. But it was lovely. And we were there for a dozen years. And now we've stepped off into the strange new world of the Zoom. So how do we lose control? How do we uh, be willing to see what we can do? Uh, and there will be a uh, all-day sitting next Sunday that Douglas will be leading. So I encourage you all to, to uh, if you haven't done a longer sitting, or even if you haven't done one in a while, uh, even, if, even if it's only on Zoom, uh, it's uh, a good way to dig in to dig into climbing the 100-foot pole and then to letting go and leaping off. Or, or you could just step off. You don't have to leap. You don't have to be melodramatic about it. Uh, how do we um, just let go of our sense of control? It's a delusion, you know. We can't control anything, actually. I mean, a lot of us are very, you know, there are many people here who are very skilled. There are people who have PhDs and, or who have uh, great skill in some area or know how to work with the Internet or, you know, a lot of you have a lot of skills, but still. Basically, we're, we're out of control. Basically, the world, um, Suki Roshi uh, said once the world is its own magic, we let, live in this magical, uh, mysterious, wonderful Buddha field, and we don't we can't control it. So, you know, when you get to the top of a hundred foot pole, it's really tempting to hold on tight. And uh, this story is about letting go. 
So, uh, Paul, uh, by the way, Paul, just a technical point. The chant we did is called the Hokyo Zamai, but it's very much related to the Sando Kai. So, well, Sando Kai, yes. Sorry. Yeah, well, no, the Hokyo Zamai is kind of a continuation of the Sando Kai. But it says things like, you are not it, it actually is you. And uh, it, so there's all kinds of... Uh, and that, and that the, the teaching of suchness is intimately communicated. Now you have it. Let go. Take care of it well and jump off the 100-foot pole. So anyway, that's, that's my, my, uh, some of my riffs about this 100-foot pole. Uh, Zengyu, you had some other things to add to that before we have discussion. Well, I was just, I was, I was thinking about how, how, I was thinking more of the Sando Kai, that you've corrected me, um, uh, how that, how, how we get a handle on that, how, how we get, how we get some, some way of taking, of picking it up and, 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 and putting it in our pocket and, and taking it along with us so it becomes part of our everyday experience. And, um, and I realized that of the various different teachers that I've studied with, they all had little sort of shorthands, little little phrases, little little shorthand phrases that they that they repeated. That they, that they, it sort of was their their theme song that um, that they would repeat as sort of their way of of, of picking up that of that of that understanding. Um, they're all a little bit different, and they're all kind of the same. And the one that the one that I actually wanted to talk about tonight, which which I blanked on and couldn't remember, so I so I came up with a hundred foot pole. But I really want to talk about nowhere to go and nothing to do, because I think that's I think that's significant right now, and and for a number of reasons, and uh, and then the concept of every day is a good day. Those are two. Those are sort of two of my my standbys that I that I work with. But then, then I studied with a Rinzai teacher in 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 Japan when I was living in Japan, and his what he's his 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 only teaching was no, whatever it is, no. <laughs> it was like whatever you think it is, no, that's not it. You know what? What there was no, there was no. It was it was all it was all no, and the and and, and the. The koan he wanted us to work with at our zazen was one. That was it, one. And whatever, 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 whatever you came up with, whatever you said, it was dope. Um, which was very powerful in its way. Um, and then, and then, one of Suzuki Roshi's older, oldest disciples, Bill Kwong, up in Summer Mountain Center, he 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 picked up on only don't know. So, so that's that. You know, if you don't know, if you don't have, if you don't have the answer, then there's room for the answer to appear. So it's only don't know and no beginning, no end, which is, you know, which is also out of the out of the out of the same out of the same teaching. Um, Zukiroshi, Zukiroshi was 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 always sort of like to chirp in and talk about, but maybe not so. You know, he he liked to say that that um, that fish fly and birds swim. Um, uh, anyway, so only only don't know. I think is I think is is um, is, is is it was his his recurring theme. Maybe not. Maybe not so. And te- and and, and uh, category. Kiriguri Roshi that went moved became went to Minneapolis. Some of you may have studied with him even. Um, he the, the teaching that I re- remember from him was to settle the self on the self, settle the self on the self. He also lectured for almost three months about frickle, and it took us it took us three months to figure out that frickle was he meant. Fickle, <laughs> anyway. Anyway, and he and Tatsugami, he and Tatsugami had very different views on what Buddhism was. So, uh, for whatever reason, I don't know. Tatsugami was an aristocrat, and 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 Kanagiri was a first-time Zen Zen person. His family was not a Zen family, 
So Bentatsugami had been in, in Buddhism for probably probably centuries, his family lineage. So so the, anyway, and, and um, but um, anyway, he was very he was he was very much um, interested in our in our personal experience with ourselves, and to settle the self on the self was the was this was the entry point, which I which is a teaching that I have felt very fond with. And Tatsugami himself, his his what he repeated over and over again, and he even said it in English, was get on the railroad tracks of Dogen Zenji's way. Get on the railroad tracks of Dogen Zenji's way. <laughs> anyway, so that's more that's you know that's taking the locks off your mind and putting them on the door. If you just if you just stick to Dogen Zenji's way, then there's there's um, you're, you're safe unless there's unless there's somebody breaks the rails and you and you and you and and you you jump and you get knocked off the rails and then you have no idea where you are but anyway it's as long as the as long as the railroad's running running you're, you're in good shape anyway um uh, i was just i just see these as little as little handles as little ways of of understanding the uh the, the teaching of something a little things to work on how to how to sort of nibble away, make make the, the vastness of, of Sandokai be be um, be be uh, doable, be uh, be, uh, be be accessible. I mean, not doable, but accessible for us in our everyday in our everyday life, in our everyday practice. Um, they're all entry. They're all entry ports into that, into uh, into understanding, into that understanding. <clears throat> and there's a new movie out called uh, I've never talking about this yesterday uh, about somebody living in an RV and, and moving around which I'm dying to see and uh, I think I think I think maybe that's going to be an example of nowhere to go and nothing to do but, we'll, but I don't know yet I haven't seen it some of you have seen it I think but anyway Thank you. Thank you, thank you. So, um, yeah, it's you know it's good to have a, a slogan or two. Yeah, so I like to say, Buddha going beyond Buddha, and also just enjoy your sasa. So that's maybe not strict enough. That's maybe too gentle. But um, if you sit all day. Just enjoy your zazen can be uh, challenging. <laughs> so um, maybe that's enough for Paul and me to say. And uh, we can open it up to uh, uh, anybody else. I saw, uh, Asian, I saw you were giving thumbs up to that movie. I guess it's called Nomadland. It's on my list. I haven't seen it yet. But do you have any slogans for us? I do. Um but, you know, I would be remiss, Tygen, if I didn't say that you have also told us during all day sittings to just enjoy our pain. So <laughs> as kind as that is, um, <laughs> there is some pain involved and some rigor. Um, it's funny, though, because, yes, so first of all, I really loved the movie Nomadland. And I highly recommend it. And it felt very much like um, some version of the Buddha way to me. Um, maybe my version. And that's, I think, my question. Because my, if I were to have a slogan, you know, for, for my practice, it would be, um, there's no strategy. And so I, I, was, I was kind of struck by... Um, Zengyu, you were talking about, um, you know, get on the, the railroad to, to Dogen Zenji's way or something that would keep you safe. And that seems to be something that has never actually worked for me. What, what, what I've found through in, in my practice is that there's really no strategy. You have to, you have to um, kind of just respond to the situation. And I wonder if, um, I guess that's my question is, I wonder if, the slogan 
that one adopts really um, is unique to the particular student, you know, and, and how we relate to ourselves and how we relate to our world. And I wondered if, if either of you could comment on that. I'll just say no strategy is just like stepping off the top of a hundred foot pole. That's all. Just, just let go. Thank you. The, the, uh, the railroad tracks of Dogenzenji's way is, 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 is an example of the Japanese approach. Uh, and as, and as the one that Suzuki Roshi was quite, pleased to find didn't exist here in America and that's why he called us the way we call it beginner's mind because we didn't have any railroad tracks um, so so that that's that's the failing of, of Japanese of Japanese Zen is is that it relies on railroad tracks um, uh, but on the other hand uh, not having not having not having that that format is is also uh, is also daunting as well. So, um, and we get involved in in trying to imagine and 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 build uh, railroad tracks in our in our minds. Um, so it's it's just it's just it's it's part of the part of the part of the 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 the, the oneness and the and the, the the oneness and the and the whole. It's just it's part of what we have to figure out how to jump clear of, how to how to come to terms with. So if you if you rely on one or the other, you have you have a problem. Just from having lived in in Japan for a couple of years or so, they have wonderful trains, Shinkansen. So they have railroad tracks that get you there fast. And they run on time, and you can depend on the schedule. So the bullet train, you know, it's just, that's something else. We don't have anything like that here where we don't have much infrastructure. So just to, to note that, <laughs> something wonderful about those railroad tracks. More than wonderful, beyond, beyond comprehension. <laughs> if you want to change trains at a big station, they, 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 they'll, they'll ask you, do you want do you want two minutes to time to change trains or do you want six minutes or do you want eight or do you want 10 minutes? How long do you want to change trains? And then they'll, they'll arrange the train for that. I mean, the timing is that, that intense minutes. So other comments or questions or responses, uh, reflections, please feel free. Yes, Co. Um, in the first reading of the the case, I, I I was struck with the image of stepping off and filling the universe, and I I think I heard that right. But in your talk, I didn't hear anything about the filling of the universe. Is there anything that that um, evokes for you? Well, the, the filling the universe it, it was. It was like, it was, it's, uh, how to say it? The, 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 the void, the void was filled. There was nothing you, you, you could just, it was like, you could just jump out and slide on it like a big, like a big grassy field or a big snowbank or something. It was like, there was no, there was no depth. And the the void was the void was 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 filled. And I would add that when you let go of the hundred foot pole, all the you know, it's a metaphor, of course, for all the hard work that we all put into trying to progress and develop our lives and make progress at some particular aspiration or endeavor, and and you know be strict and good at it and learn how to do it when you let go. It's just vast and wide and you can, you don't need to depend on some particular skill when you step off the hundred foot pole. It's a good thing to climb to the top of a hundred foot pole. You know, this is uh, something that, 
you know, whether it's a hundred foot pole or a 50 foot pole or a 25 foot pole, maybe it doesn't matter. But when you, when you, you know, when you work at something and, and accomplish something, that's a nice feeling, you know, but then how do you go beyond? How do you let go of that? How do you, and that's where, you know, the whole universe is there. Asian. Um, the way you describe it, it sounds like what I think retirement will be like. <laughs> <laughs> Where, you know, you don't have to keep sort of striving at all these things. You just sort of, the whole world is just open. But um, but that's kind of scary, too. You know, I, I, I find that I like to hold on to my overwork. And, and it's scary to think about, you know, nothing to do and nowhere to go. Well, I remember I, that. I, had that, I definitely had that experience for many years. And, and now that I am on the other side of that, even though I'm still working hard, but I have that retirement kind of mentality, I don't, I don't feel the way to, I don't have to solve, I don't have to save the world anymore. And, and the world is, could be just fine the way it is. It's quite a, quite a wonderful place to be, actually. But, but yes, for, for, for 70 some years, I, felt that way too that I had that I, I had to trudge ahead and and make make the waves smooth and bright. Other comments please. This, this uh, tension or uh, rhythm of struggling and working and, and accomplishing and all of that, which is part of our American way, I guess. But then there's this uh, other side, which is the spaciousness of just letting go of that, stepping free, stepping off. It doesn't mean giving up. It doesn't mean not paying attention, but... How do we just enjoy our breath, as I sometimes say? His hand was up among his trees. Who's that? Kai. Um, You guys talked about uh, maybe letting go of the need to be scripted or controlled also, Dogen mentions in the Tenzo Kyokun that the cooks would get together and the heads of the temple would get together and discuss the uh, meals for the next day. And so there's an element of preparation that's still necessary. So where um, is that role filled in the need for preparation before action? Is that, is that still uh, important if you're letting go of all these things? Yes, of, of course. That, 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 that's your. You, you, you're not. You're, you're, you're letting go, but you're not. You're not stopping. I mean, you, you're still. You're still fully active. You're still. You're still. Nowhere to go and nothing to do doesn't mean that you don't go anywhere. And you don't do anything. It means that you don't. You, you're not. You, you have the. You have the ability to go everywhere and do everything. Um, and so. The, the cooks, the cook, the the you know, the, the, the the Dogen's uh, uh, interest in the, in the in the cooks was which very close to my heart because as a craftsperson, that's it's the same kind of thing, and and you have to you have to work very hard to get all the vegetables and the rice and everything cooked at the same time and 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 not have too much and not have too little and and have to get something good for this for the for the sangha. And, and I mean, it's 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 all it's all it's all very important to take care of. Just like just like you know, we have to take care of our lives. We have to like you know, build the fires and 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 get the water and and do all the things that we can't just lay back and expect someone to feed us. You know that we have to we have to take care of our life. But we don't have but we don't have to we don't have to have it be a weight. It doesn't have to be a weight on us. It, 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 it doesn't have to be 
a problem. It's 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 the uh, it's the is is letting it is letting the letting it letting the activities do themselves. I have two examples of that from my life. I've spoken about this sometimes, but uh, I before I became a full time Zen person, I used to work as a film editor. This is way back in the seventies and eighties, and uh, I worked did documentary films, but that ended up meaning back then doing a lot of television news. So I worked in TV news for a long time. And part of that was um, uh, even just a fairly short story. I was, I was most interested in just the flow of the images. You know, I was interested in the art of editing and film and, but sometimes I would have to have a, uh, uh, have a story that was going to go on on the air on television in five or ten minutes, and I was working with pieces of film, and and there was somebody standing over my shoulder ready to run it literally to the projector to go on the air to be to, uh, to be uh, uh, broadcast, um, and that required that I know very well what I wanted to do and where all the different pieces were and how the, and, and the physical part of putting it together. And I could, I, I learned that I could only do that if I didn't rush, didn't and slow down mentally at least, and just took care of each thing. Uh, so uh, in some ways in that space, it was like stepping off the hundred foot pole. I knew that what I had to do, but, um, and it was, there was, it was high pressure in some, on some level, but it was a space of just, you know, spaciousness. A second example of that a little later, after I, when I started working for Zen Center, I worked at Tassajara Bakery in San Francisco when it was a Zen bakery. It was a wonderful practice place. And I worked in various parts of that, but uh, that included working behind the counter and Saturday mornings, there'd be a line out the door for hours. And I'd be behind, the, there'd be two of us behind the counter and the cashier. And each person who comes up, um, uh, you know, what do you want? And is that a large or small blueberry? And do you want it for here or to go? And, and uh, you know, all, all the different particulars of what that person wanted. Well, that prepared me to, for doing dokes on, by the way. But anyway, um, there were two of us behind the counter and the cashier and we had to move around each other. It was a very small space. We had to move around each other, get the different things, put them in bags or on plates and get the ready next to the cashier so he could take care of the next person. So it was this very concentrated dance and I could only do that. You can only do that if you're really relaxed and breathing and uh, not rushing but moving very quickly. <laughs> and so, you know, both of those are examples for that, that I think of as stepping off the hundred foot pole. You know what you're doing very clearly. You know where everything is. You know where, this, where the bran muffins are and where the blueberry muffins are and where each of the different Danish trays are and, and, and you just make it happen. So um, maybe some of you have experiences of that kind of uh, space of... Uh, high intensity and again the line was at the door for five hours and uh, so anyway but really it was like being it was like stepping off a hundred foot pole so Joka your question reminded me of that Um, it's getting on time wise but if there's one or two more comments or responses or questions about any of this, we could enjoy those. And uh, uh, Paul, I didn't mean to insult you by comparing you to Tatsugami Roshi. Just mm, well, what? I didn't mean to insult you by comparing you to Tatsugami Roshi. Oh. <laughs> uh, that was my expression of, a, of my a great appreciation for your being here with us. No, so no, thank you. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't take it that way at all. 
But um, um, because I mean, he was he was. Uh, but I, I just one little vignette that we, that I think of when my son was born about six months before I left for Japan, before Suzuki Roshi sent me to Japan, just before he was dying. And and I have this picture of of, of Suzuki Roshi standing in front of a brick a, a stone wall at Tassahara holding my son, Benjamin, and Tatsuyami standing next to him. And and he's and, and, and Suzuki said, I'm the mother, he's the father. <laughs> so it's it's sort of a tag team kind of kind of uh, relationship that has it has uh, nothing no 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 good or bad to it anyway. I'm I'm not very good at staying on railroad tracks, so I, I don't I don't even I don't even have a clue for what that's about. <laughs> good, thank you. Aishin, were you gonna say something? Oh I'm yes, I'm going to unless there's somebody else who wants to say something who hasn't said anything. Um but I you know, you really both have brought this koan to life in uh, in an important way. And I just want to comment about koans in general that, you know, we read them and they're, they're always either completely out of context or in a context that, you know, we, we know a couple details and they're, they have nothing to do with our lives. And it can feel like, you know, trying to, to sit with that and understand it, like we have to like get something, but I, but I love how you kind of just brought it to life through your own life. And I wonder if that's really the point of koans is that we, we bring them to life in our, in, in our lives, or we understand them in our lives, or we understand our lives in them. I, I think that's quite true. I think that koans, people sort of think of them as being some sort of passages or hurdles you have to jump over or some, something like that, but they're just, they're teaching stories basically. And, and, um, um, and that they're just showing different aspects of, of Buddhist understanding, and and they're they're just little little just little little teaching little 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 teaching tools, and and it's difficult to it's difficult to understand them because they're they were written in in a country that was you know a thousand years ago or more and 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 totally different cultural background, but but they they have. They, 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 they're still alive in our life, in our life, and 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 our everyday life. I mean, some of some of them especially are especially are especially alive, and because we know people like that, or we know ourselves like that, or we fall into that situation, or or we are tend to think of things that way, or or we want to know the answer between two things where there is no answer. And I mean, it's it's they're they're not they're not supposed to be mysterious. Buddhas and ancestors were as we. What's that? Buddhas and ancestors were as we. We, in turn, shall be Buddhas and ancestors. Yeah, we are. And on that note, unless there's somebody else who has something to add. Uh, um, so, Jokai, would you please uh, lead us in the four Bodhisattva vows? And then we'll have some announcements and a chance to just hang out informally. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless. I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it. <laughs>